Good morning. Welcome to Regeneration. We've been going through the Gospel of Luke several months now, and for those of you who are unfamiliar with this Gospel or this book of the Bible, um, and you've just kind of joined us midway, all of our previous sermons are on iTunes, so you can go ahead and listen to those things. Before we, we jump into the, to this, let, let me pray. Lord, we, we thank you. We love you. We pray, Lord, for your blessing on these people that they have the ability to hear your word. Not simply the sounds that come from my mouth, not simply what is being taught, but how they hear this and how it transforms their lives. And we ask your spirit to touch them and to anoint them with that. In Jesus' name, amen. So just a brief summary to catch you up on a little bit on Luke. Luke was a doctor, very meticulous in his kind of note-taking and presenting history and all these other things. So let's take a look back at chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, very briefly just to kind of give you a background as to what he was thinking when he was writing this. So verse 1, chapter 1, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Luke was making it really clear that this wasn't just some random collection of stories, that that he followed things really closely for a good amount of time, and he put together all of this stuff in this orderly account of all his findings. So this isn't a work that was made up. This wasn't something that he was just writing stories. This is a work that the author, Luke himself, was telling us that he did and the reasons that he was doing this, and it was to give us this orderly account so that we may have certainty concerning the things we have been taught. Now, what's beautiful about the Gospels is that it features Jesus. That's the beautiful thing, and, and which is why we're going through the Gospel of Luke right now. We, I, I consider our church in a replanting phase. And I, I've officially been the lead pastor for less than a year. I know some of you may be like, oh, really? It's just been less than a year? It has. It's just been less than a year that I've been here. Prior to that, I was the interim lead pastor for two years. And then prior to that, the seven years prior to that, I was the associate pastor of the church. So I've been here a while, but I have actually only been the lead pastor for less than a year. So I'm curious to know, just by a show of hands, who has been here less than one year? Can you, sh- you, you see that? Okay, keep your hands up. Who's been here less than two years? And three years. So everyone less than three years. Can you put your hands up? Do you see why I think this is a replant? It's a replant. This is a brand new church. So, so don't get confused. Like, oh, this, this church has been here so long I can't get involved. You can. It's, it's brand new. It's, it's, a, it's a restart. It's like we pressed the reset button. We, we're getting to start things over again. Which is, which is pretty awesome. And the Lord has really blessed us. Because if you're considering, oh, these, most of these people here have been here less than a year. So if, if a church plant just started and we had this, we just started less than a year and we had this, wouldn't you feel so blessed? Like God is really doing something. God is doing something awesome. So, so that's why we're going through the book of Luke. Because as we go through the book of Luke, I, I want us to have a really healthy dose of Jesus. 
as a replant, to have a really healthy dose of Jesus Christ and to learn from God Himself that the smartest man to ever live, the greatest preacher to ever live, the greatest teacher to ever walk this earth. So we're going to study the Gospel of Luke. So let's just start verses 16 through 18. Just just take this first section here. No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Now when we think of a jar, we typically think of like glass, right? We think of, oh, it's a jar glass. But what's referenced here in terms of the jar is more like a pottery. It's not something you can see through, right? So, so point being, you can't see through this. And, and the bed mentioned here in verse 16, you've got to keep in mind that this is before any of these regulatory people that make you add uh, flame-retardant things into your bed. Well, I don't know, bromine, what is it, whatever they add? To some, something with a B, I know that, because we did a lot of research before we bought our kids' mattresses. Anyway, but, but beds back then, they were made of really, really uh, flammable materials, highly flammable materials, right? So here Jesus being kind of a funny guy. Saying, you know, you don't put an open flame under a highly flammable thing, right? So, so you put it under, I mean, you put it under my bed, it's Chinese barbecue, right? So, um, it's, and, and if it's, and if you put it while my wife and I are in bed, then that's Panda Express. But anyway, um, the, the things, the things beds were made of back then, highly flammable stuff. Really high. So, so Jesus is making this pretty obvious statement here. He's pointing out that it's, it's pretty silly to, to cover a lamp with this thing you can't see through. It defeats the purpose. Like, why even light it? And it's pretty silly to put it under a bed because that's a fire. Like, that's it's highly flammable. So that's not what that light was created to do. It's not made to be covered up. It's not made to be put under a bed. So off to verse 18, which is the focus of this first section of Scripture here, verses 16 through 18. But verse 18 is the focus. It says, Take care then how you hear. How you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Now there's that word again, hear. That verb, hear. Right in the past few weeks, hearing, this has been a pretty common theme of our text in the past couple weeks. And here we have it again in, in, in our text today, in verses 18 and verse 21 as well. And so this first section we're covering, verses 16 through 18, um, we'll, we'll talk about this now. And then that second section, 19 through 21, we'll get to that later. But before we get any further, let, let's read over some previous verses in the Gospel of Luke as, as references for, for, for verses to this theme of hearing. So the first one is Luke chapter 6, verse 27. Something about Bible flipping. I, I really love that sound. It's like, shh, It's like, like rain coming down. Like, it's, and I, I'm guilty of not doing that anymore because I, I, I have everything on my phone. I have to tell you this story because I don't think that guy that's here that blew up isn't here, so I can tell the story. But, but he saw someone, like, on their phone, right? 
and he thought that they were texting. So he got up from the service and he went over, Don't text in the service! And he stormed out. You're not here, right? Okay, you're not here. <laughs> you're here? Come on. No. Oh. Um, but but, uh, but that, that girl, uh, that girl, woman, she's not a girl. She, was, she came up to apologize to me afterwards, and she was like, I wasn't texting. I was actually looking in my Bible because all my, all my stuff is... So don't judge. You know, they're not necessarily on their... You know, they're looking... I, I do that. But I'm, I think I want to put some, like, app in there that makes it sound like I'm turning pages of the Bible. Anyway. Anyway, anyway, okay. Luke chapter 8, verse 8. And some... Fell, oh no, I, I didn't even read chapter 6, 27. Oh, look back. Chapter 6, verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Chapter 8, verse 8 in Luke. These, these are all in Luke. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, he, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then Luke chapter 8, verses 13 through 15. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But they, these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience." Hearing, hear. Right? And, and, and then we get into verse 18. It says, Take care then how you hear. Take care. It's really important to carefully consider how we hear. Yes, it's very important to consider also what we hear. Right? In Mark chapter 4, verse 24, Jesus said, Pay attention to what you hear. That's what he said in Mark. So what we listen to is important as well. And the simple point that we listen at all, that's important too. That we even listen. Right? In Luke chapter 8, verse 8, he says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. It's important that we listen. And so we just moved from this parable earlier in chapter 8, that parable of the soils, where hearing is the central theme. But there's this big difference between simply hearing that we listen, and really hearing to the point that it is transformative to our life. There's a big difference. How we hear. It's a big difference. Is what we hear just noise? Is it simply sounds? Or does it penetrate into our life that it causes a, a noticeable change in it because we've heard something that's changed our life? Because we tend to get callous towards the things that we hear over and over and over again, right? We get this callousness towards this thing because why? Because it's kind of like nagging. And you kind of hear your mom back there just, rah, 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 and then and you're just like, no, oh, I don't hear it. It's, even though they're great lessons, right? And, and where things don't affect us anymore because all we hear are sounds, all we hear are noises, but they don't mean anything to us. And it just happens all the time ever since we were children, right? It probably started out with your parents. I'm tired of, I don't want to do my um, homework again, f- make my bed again, do the dishes again, take out the trash again, all this stuff. And then it goes to your teachers, and then it goes to other authority types, right? Like, like your bosses, or police, or 
pastors or whatever, and it's just noise. And then another Sunday, my noise, my whatever, wah, 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 wah. But it's not much different from what happened in the past. It's not all that different. You look back at the Old Testament, there's not much difference, right? You look at a prophet like Isaiah. Do you know that the prophet Isaiah, if you look at a word study, the verb here is on there over 40 times. He's telling people to hear. Was he listened to? Did they hear him? No. But in, his, in the book of Isaiah, it's over 40 times. Listen to me, right? Hear me. What? La, 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 whatever. And, and, so, and then you look at someone like Ezekiel, right? And Ezekiel was a really interesting guy. People are like, I like what Ezekiel does. I like listening to Ezekiel. He, he does cool stuff. And, and he says cool stuff. But let me read you something from Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 33, verses 31 and 32. And they come to you as people come, and they sit before you as my people, and they hear what you say, but they will not do it. For with lustful talk in their mouths they act, their heart is set on their gain, and behold, you are to them like one who sings lustful songs with a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument, for they hear what you say, but they will not do it. So they viewed Ezekiel more like Justin Bieber more than a prophet. Oh, you sing lustful songs and you play this. If you don't know who Justin Bieber is, count it a blessing. Just, just, just count it a blessing. Don't, you don't have to Google it. Don't, don't do nothing. Just, just say, I have been blessed by not knowing this. Just, just, just leave it at So it's not simply that we hear. It's not simply what we hear. It's important how we hear. Right To bring on that, that transformational change in there. So you recall back in Luke chapter 6, verse 47, Jesus said, Everyone who comes to me and hears my words, it doesn't stop there. It's not just that we hear. It's not just what we hear. It's also how we hear. Because Jesus said, Everyone who comes to me and hears my words, and then what? And does them. And does them. I will show you what he is like. See, how, how we hear, that, that's, that's crucial. That is really crucial. That's what brings about the transformative changes within us. In Luke chapter 6, verse 27, Jesus said, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. It's more than just what we hear. There's a transformative change there in in that how we hear enables us not just to tolerate our enemies, but to love them. Not just to passively live life in existence with those who hate us, but to actually do good to those who hate us. See, the Christian faith is an assertive faith. It's not a passive one. You're taking steps to to goodness, taking steps to kindness, taking steps to redemption, to forgiveness. How we hear is really crucial. Now let's look at the parable of the soils again, because all of this is is has connections. So back to the parable of the soils, verses thirteen through fifteen in chapter eight. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. 
but these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. More More than simply that we hear, more than what we hear, how we hear. Now with that background, let's revisit verses 16 and 17 again because I want to kind of make the connection there. And I think there's a connection between the soils and the lamps. Right? That the lamp that is that is on on the lamp stand where where it was made to be. Right? Where the where the light can be seen. It's like the good soil that bears fruit. They're kind of synonymous there. That the lamp's purpose is to provide light, which was provided by God. And a good soil's purpose is to bear fruit. And the seed was provided by God. And so lamps, lamps that, that don't provide light are like those other three soils. Right? They, they, they aren't functioning as they were created. They aren't serving their purpose. And just as God was the provider of the seed, the Word of God, the light provided for the lamps is also from God. So there may be other lamps, just like there are other soils, but those lamps are not fulfilling their purpose in providing light. It's not what they were created to do. So, so, so there's a good soil that bears fruit, just as there is a, a lamp that provides light. And so as the Word of God is falling on the good soil, on those of us who hear, who hold fast to it, what, what we hear with it, with an honest and good heart, and, and we bear fruit with patience, something happens. A light turns on. Your lamp is lit. Right? There, there's, this, there's this light in us that goes, bing! Some of you, it might more sound like boing. Or, I don't know, up to you. But, but as a light is turned on in us, something something clicks, right? Verse 16, no one after lighting a lamp. You know the soul you are. There's a lamp that turns on. There's bing. Something turns on in you, right? I'm bearing fruit. Something's going on. If the word of God has fallen on us as good soil, if Jesus has lit a light in us, in our minds that has illuminated truth in our life, does it make sense to hide that? If it has already fallen on good soil, and you are bearing fruit. A light has turned on in you. It doesn't make sense not to share that. Verse 16, No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Jesus didn't just give us a seed, the Word of God, to grow it in good soil, bear fruit, have a light turn on. Mine. Keep it to myself. He, he didn't give you that light, that, that illumination for you, for you to hide that. Right? It, it's there. right? Something has turned on, but you decide to cover it or you decide to put it somewhere that it doesn't belong. 
But something has turned on. It, it's fallen on good soil. And when the kingdom of God makes sense to us, when, when Jesus makes sense to us, when the light has turned on for us, when that bing or that boing, whatever happens, it doesn't mean that the light has turned on for others, though, because it has fallen on other soils. Three out of the four soils aren't sticking. So those lights haven't turned on. So we can't assume that those lights are on. We've got to play our part. We've got to be light. Right? And it's, it's important that we do what we were transformed to do. Right? Just Jesus lit a light in us so that those who are once in darkness, they have an opportunity to see light. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, it says, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now we have a ton of secular groups that we partner with and, and that want to partner with us uh, from the community and they, they want to do these different things, but they just don't want the Jesus piece in it. They're like, oh yeah, we want to do this with you and we love your vision for the community and we want to partner with you and we want to do all this stuff. And, and they're like, but, but can you not do that Jesus part? Because you know we don't want to offend people and stuff like this. I'm like, what part of this church isn't church? Like, you know, right? I mean, if, if you went to a mosque, you would expect Islam. If you went to a Buddhist temple, you would ex- expect Buddhism. You came to a Christian church. Oh, yeah, no Jesus. What? what? Th- that's weird. I mean, he's right there in the stained glass. I mean, what? I don't get it. So, can't do that. Can't do that. I, I, and I'm not sorry about it. There, there's no apology there. What is there to apologize for? Right? I, I, I need to let my light shine. I can't put it under a cover. I can't put it somewhere where it's inappropriate. I can't cover up the light that God has given us. I can't do that. Right? The darker the place, the more light is needed. So, you, the light's needed. And Oakland, parts of Oakland are really, really dark. I can't hide that. So in, in terms of the partnership, I, sorry, so, I'm not sorry. Can't do it. If we want to partner, it's, it's Jesus. So what happens when you, when you cover a, a fire-lit lamp? What happens when you do that? It really dulls that flame or it puts it out. It extinguishes it. Right? It puts it out. And, and the thing is, is I got lit. I don't want to be put out. Right? So we got to shine. And, but there's something else to be said here is that I don't want to be put out, but I also don't want to be a danger. I don't want to be obnoxious. I don't want to be on the other side of it too, right? I, I, don't, want to, I don't want to be put under a bed. and poof, I don't want that either. So I don't want to be a jerk. I, I, want to, I want to exercise tact. I want to exercise kindness and acceptance and all this other stuff with these people. But I, I, I can't hide it. I can't hide Jesus. Now, in looking at verse 17, it says, For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be made known and come to light. Now, I think we have to look at verse 17 in light of verse 10 of that same chapter. Because Jesus said in chapter 10, of, uh, uh, in verse 10 of chapter 8, He says, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. 
Now, verse 10 is prophetic. Jesus is quoting from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. And while Jesus was telling us not to hide ourselves in verse 16, he tells us in verse 17 that nothing is going to be hidden, that the hidden things will be revealed. What is going on here? It might be a little unclear to some people, but it it wasn't. It's still obvious that people want to do things that they want to do, right? They want to believe what they want to believe. They, they, they have different thoughts. They have different beliefs. They have different ideas of how things should be, especially in regards to spiritual things, especially when it comes to God, especially when it comes to religion, things like that. So for those who don't want to hear, they won't. For those who don't want to see, they won't. You see, God is not going to force himself upon you. He's not going to violate you. He's not going to assault you. Worse yet, if we want to take it to the extreme, He's not going to rape you. Force Himself upon you. He's not going to do that. So Jesus spoke in parables, which they didn't understand. But in a sense, speaking in parables is kind of like a form of judgment. Because those who really don't want to understand, they won't. Therefore, you have your lot. You don't want to see, then you don't want to see. And those who had other motives as to why they're hanging around Jesus, those were, those were kind of cleansed out. Those were filtered through because they didn't really want to understand. They didn't really want to see. They didn't really want to hear. So that parable is kind of a filter. Like, your, your motives are not pure. You're not going to understand. And in verses 16 and 17, Jesus said, Don't hide the light and, and that the hidden things are going to be known. The secret things will come to light, which is what happened in the book of Acts, isn't it? Acts after Pentecost, right? In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are, are going to the temple to pray, and there was this lame guy at the beautiful gate, and he's asking for alms there. He's asking for psalms. Asking for alms there. Peter heals him. That beautiful gate is actually still there if you ever go to Israel. It's, a, it, it's there. People still walk in and out of it. And so Luke records for us in Acts chapter 3, verse 10, that the people were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to the lame man. And then verse 11... He records for us that they were astounded. People just didn't understand what was going on. It was hidden from them. Now, how did Peter respond in Acts chapter 3, verse 12? He addresses the people with a question. He says, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? And Peter goes on to tell them about Jesus. And, and he goes on to tell them about Jesus, whom you killed, whom was prophesied about. He's the Messiah. That through his death and his resurrection, this lame man, he, he's made whole. It's, it's Jesus. So, so as disciples of Jesus, we need to carefully consider how we listen, just as Peter and John were careful in how they listened. They were careful in that they healed that guy, and they didn't say, like, yeah, I'm pretty good. My name is Peter, and I will take you know, 20 shekels for every healing and, and you know, all the attentions on me. He didn't say that. He was careful in how he listened. He knew exactly who to credit. right? He knew exactly who to point to. And like Peter and John, we will have the light shine through us. And we have to be careful in how we listen. Otherwise, we may fall too. Not too. They didn't fall. We may fall. Why is that? Because of verse 18. It says... Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, 
more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Because if we don't take care of how we hear the Word of God with a heart of obedience, with a heart of surrender and faith and, 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 and adore, adornment, uh, it's going to be worthless to us. It's not going to mean anything to us. What we may be hearing will fall on these deaf ears. And what good is that seed if it's not falling on good soil? What good is that seed if it does fall on good soil, but you're not shining as you were made to do? And you hide it. And when you hide it, what happens? It doesn't grow. You get extinguished. Or you get put in a place that you you don't belong. You cause more damage. So and for those of us or you who come into church week in and week out, you have to ask yourself, is coming to church really good for you? Is it really good for you? Because, because church is actually a really dangerous place if you don't have ears ready to hear. It really is. I love that you come here. But i got to tell you this just for your sake. Just for your health. Because church is a dangerous place. Because if you come to church just hearing noises and hearing words of God, and you just hear sounds, and you hear in terms of the physical sense, but it's not transforming you in the spiritual sense, you're in dangerous territory. You're in really dangerous territory. Why? Because if the soil of your heart doesn't allow the gospel to penetrate it, If the soil of your heart doesn't allow the Spirit of God to penetrate, every time you hear, it will get thicker and thicker and thicker and thicker. And you won't be able to accept it. I'd rather you go out, have a thin layer, come back in and listen. Spiritually. I mean, I, I would miss you. I would be sad. Oh, bummer, I don't see that person anymore. But really, I don't want your heart to get hardened towards the things of God. And the longer you sit here as we teach through the Bible, as we teach through the Gospel of Luke, and it hasn't affected you, your callus is growing thicker towards God. And the more you hear about Jesus, and it doesn't change you, the more difficult it will be that the mention of Jesus, that it just becomes a sound. It just becomes a noise and it just bounces off of you. And it doesn't penetrate. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2, the scripture reads, For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. And I pray that you don't become like that. Right? You, you come hearing the Word of God just like everyone else in church. But the message you heard did not benefit you. God forbid that the reason you're here is for some other reason. I, whatever that reason is. And maybe you need company in your life. Maybe, maybe this is a social setting. And, and again, don't get me wrong. I love that we provide community for you. I love that you feel value, that you feel love, that you feel affection, and you feel care here. We are here for you. Whatever that reason is that you're here, whatever you're seeking, I love that you're here. But I'm really concerned that if the Word of God has no benefit to you while it is preached here every week, 
If there's no benefit there you, for you that, that it's going to help you in your faith, it's a huge concern for me. Because you look at chapter 4 of Hebrews again, verse 2, it says, The message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. There's an issue. There's an issue here with unity and there's an issue here with faith. And maybe this is you. Maybe it's one of you. You know that coming here is good. You know that the worship, the fellowship, the teaching, the prayer, the communion, the giving, the serving, all this stuff is really good. It's all good. But you're disconnected. You're disconnected. You're not in unity of faith. Somehow you're disconnected, and one of those disconnections is also a disconnection in your faith with those of the church. That somehow you're isolated by yourself doing stuff. You show up here on Sundays, but you're really isolated. You're not totally involved. That, that you are in this community physically. You're here on Sunday, but you still live an isolated life of faith. And I know that some of you here are like this. I know. I can see it in your life. I've met with you. I know that some of you are like this. You're here physically, but you're not entirely here. And perhaps the message you hear doesn't benefit you because you're not united by faith with those who listen, with those who hear. And the hardening is not towards just me and what I say or whatever, and it's not just towards our community, but it's a hardening towards God. It's a hardening towards the Spirit. And hearing the Word of God week after week, it will bring about a change. It will. You, you can't leave without change. Because it either changes you to be more like Jesus, or it changes you in that you're more hardened. And the callus is thicker. And that, that callus toward your heart is thicker. But there is a change. Either you're getting closer, or you're getting more calloused. There's a change. James writes to us in James chapter 1, verses 21-25. through 25. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty... And perseveres, being no hearer, he forgets but a doer acts. He will be blessed in his doing. If we are not able to receive from the word of God, the question to ask ourselves is, how come? How come? What is preventing me from receiving the word of God which is able to save my soul? What is preventing that? What is not allowing the Word of God to penetrate my soul, penetrate my spirit, penetrate my heart, penetrate my mind? What is stopping that? Part of it may be because of filthiness and rampant wickedness that has not been put away. Something in your life. Part of it may be the Word of God is not received with meekness. That you're on the other side. You're you're prideful. You're pharisaical. And part of it may be because the Word of God is not being done. You hear it, you hear it, you hear it, but you don't exercise it. 
part of it may be that what is heard of the word of God is not carefully considered. Right? Luke chapter 8, verse 18. Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has more will be given, and for the one who has not even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. See, those who have faith, those who have belief, those who have trust, dependence on God, they will be given more. Those who are not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. See, people are disobedient to the word of God. The ones who are indifferent to the words of God, they will lose even the little spiritual understanding that they do have. Right? They'll, they'll, they'll hear the words of God. They'll hear the Bible being taught. But instead of coming to the light, they actually get darker because their hearts are thicker. Right? The walls to their heart are thicker. That light can't penetrate through. And this is a well-known principle, isn't it? Right? How many of you went to Chinese school? How many? Seriously. Well, there's, there's a few. How many went to any language school on a Saturday? Growing up, you went to a language school. How many of you are fluent in that language? In that you can read, write, and speak it? Any, anybody? You, you went to Chinese school, though. I went for eight years. I can read eight words. That is eight characters. I, I, I read one character. I learned one character a year. How to read one and how to write one. That was a great investment. I mean, that, how many of you played a musical instrument growing up? Anybody? Everyone? How many of you can still play that musical instrument? How many of you can still play that musical instrument the same as your, when you were a kid, when you were at your peak? See how few there are? I played the accordion <laughs> for eight years. I was growing up and pulling this thing. You should have seen my trapezius on my left side. It was like the Hulk. I was like, wow. It's like, it was humongous, right? I was like, you want to arm wrestle me? I'm left hand, right? That was it. Right? It, it's, it's, you have to keep, keep it up. Otherwise, you lose it. I can probably play a couple songs, but I used to play in front of concert halls. Right? With all these people and stuff. All these crazy polka people. And um, I can't do that anymore, though. I, I think I could play, like, one song. Just, it's just like my go-to song. Like, yeah, I could play it. And it's just, and it's just that thing. But, but if you guys learned piano as a kid and you didn't keep it up, you don't know how to play it anymore. And it's the same thing with sports. How many of you played a sport when you were younger? How many of you can still compete on the level of your peak when you were younger? That's funny, right? But, but it, I mean, instead of, it would make a really funny YouTube video. You trying to play your thing. There's a, there's a group of guys that plays basketball. Is it Wednesday night? Wednesday night. I want to so badly go and just film it. I just, right? The guys that are pretending that they're back in high school again or something. Like, oh, look, he's going to injure himself. It happens to me. It happens to me. Like, my wife and I were watching this documentary on Korea. For some reason, we were infatuated with Korea. And we're watching it, and there was this big Taekwondo thing. And this guy was doing all these awesome kicks, like flipping all this way. My wife says, hey, can you do that? I was like, I, I, I did. I was able to do that before. Can you do it now? No, I, I can't. I can't do it now. In fact, I do the simplest things, and I rip something. Real, I threw a sidekick once just in class. I ripped my hamstring. 
It was bruised all the way down. I had to go to the doctor. I went to therapy. It, it's so much scar tissue in there now. I'm serious. It was a simple sidekick. I wasn't even doing these little twirly things like this. I just, I'm not going to do it here. I'm going to do it this low because I'm going to rip it if I go this high. And there was another time I was trying to show off, right? Oh, my students, oh, this brand new thing. I'm going to do a split kick. Woof. And I used to be able to go really high. I tried. Whoosh. I was hurt. <laughs> I ripped this one. I have ripped both of my hamstrings doing that ministry across the street. Because of my pride. It, it, and it, it's because I haven't kept up. I didn't keep up. I'm not as flexible as I used to be. I'm not as fast. I'm not all those things, right? And so that's what happens. So the principle is true. Verse 18 says, For to those, for to the ones who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has, I thought I had it, that will be taken away. So you see the, the principle at work, whether it's language, whether it's music, whether it's sports. And, and if you keep working at it, then you might still have it. But if you don't, it actually gets worse because you think you can do something that you used to do or that you probably think that your body can do more of, but you can't. It's been taken away. And those of you who work out, you know what this is like. right? You, you work out and you get stronger and you get faster. And if you don't, it's not like you stay the same. Look at this. You don't stay the same. I used to be 150 pounds. Right? At my competing weight, I'm, I was 150 pounds. I'm not going to tell you how much I am now. But it's a lot more. You don't stay the same. Like, oh, I compete. And I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm gonna the best shape of my life. You don't stay there. You, things start dropping. Things start dropping on you. Things start getting more flabby on you. Things start growing on you. And where you don't want them to grow. And then you get weaker and you get slower and all this kind of stuff. If you don't believe me, you join us at our annual picnic and play football. Because we always have a pickup game. And there's always somebody that gets hurt because they used to play football in high school. And they try to pretend and on the floor is like, oh. Pride. Or whatever. But, but, but you get, you, and, and I, I started working out last week in preparation for that football game. But anyway, um, but, you, but the principle is true, right? It's not just spiritual. It's, a, it's anything in life. You don't just stay the way that you were. You, you're, you don't, you're, you're either improving or you're not. You don't stay the, I wish it were though. I wish it were. That you, once you got to that place and you stayed there, that would be so awesome. That would be so great. But it's not true. Physically, mentally, anything. Spiritually, all of that. It's not true. You're either progressing or you're digressing. Verses 19 through 21, the second section. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Now before we unpack uh, this second section, let's take a look at Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 39. So everyone who acknowledges, acknowledges me before me, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. 
Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against his, her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Anyone here have a problem with that scripture? I do. I struggle with that because of my culture. Right? Because from my culture, from my Chinese heritage, even my American heritage, this doesn't really sit that well with me. What? That's, that's my mom. That's my dad. My mother-in-law. But the other ones. Right? Like, I'm kidding. I, I really like her. Let's take a look at Mark chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. Now this is Jesus' biological family saying this about him, about God. So, okay, we have these, these uh, two stories as our backdrop, right? Now let's go back to the parable of the soils, back to chapter 8, verse 15, and it says... As for, those, as for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Now, being good soil is very good. And the way we are good soil is hearing the word of God, holding it fast, bearing fruit with patience. And then we get to Luke chapter 8, verse 18, and Jesus said, Take care then how you hear. And then we get to this second section, Luke chapter 8, verses 19 through 21, which tells us the character of family, which tells us the sense of belonging, which tells us the nature of family. So who is the family of Jesus? Who belongs in the family of Jesus? And it's given to us in verse 21. Those who hear the word of God and do it. That recurring theme of hearing again, right? And that's how it works. So a recap. We have the parable of the soils, the seed, the word of God, gets sowed into different soils. The seed that's in the good soil are those who hear the word of God. They hold it fast and they bear fruit with patience. Now your light is on. Bing! Verse 16. You take care of how you hear. How you hear. Verse 18. Because you don't want to be like the other soils, verses 12 through 14. And you don't want to have things taken away from you that you have because you aren't using it, verse 18. And if you're wondering who belongs in the family of God, they are those who hear the word of God and do it. Interesting, isn't it? Hearing, all this stuff. Now Jesus came from a large biological family. He was the eldest son of Joseph and Mary. And he had four brothers. Their names were James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. He had at least two sisters. One by the name of Salome. It's all in the book of Mark. Now, Jesus had responsibilities as the eldest son. Right? At, at the death of the cross, at the death, at his death on the cross, he made sure that his mom was taken care of. Right? 
he, he tells John in John chapter 19, verse 27, Jesus said to his disciple, John, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his home, Mary w- and, and then Mary would later live her life in Ephesus. She still has a house there in, in the city of Ephesus. You can go tour at the Mary's house, which is a long walk up in Ephesus, but it's there. And then in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, Mary, the, uh, Jesus' mother, and then Jesus' brothers, they devoted themselves to prayer when Jesus revealed that he had a resurrected body. And how awesome that would have been because they were doubting him that whole time. Remember those stories we read before? Like, oh, he's, he's going crazy or go get him or whatever. But now, you know, they, they realize this. And so as to family, Jesus is obviously concerned about it. Jesus is from the Middle East where they have really strong family ties. Culturally, they're really tight. So don't mistake Luke chapter 8 verses 19 through 21 as saying that Jesus doesn't have regard for family. Because he does. Look at how he made sure that his mom was taken care of. Right? So... Why did Jesus say this in verse 21, that my mothers and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it? It's because the spiritual ties trump the biological ties. Right? That, that the spiritual relationships trump the physical relationships. They trump those bloodlines. That the family of faith supersedes the nuclear family. And isn't that good? isn't it irritating that someone just inherits all that stuff because of how they were born, who they were born to, whatever. And then you have this generational thing when they didn't even earn it. They didn't even try for it. It's just because they inherited something. But God says, hey, it's wide open. Fair game. Wide open field. Everyone's welcome into my family. You don't have to be born into it in that if you're not born into it, you're, forget it. You have no chance. Isn't that great? And when the Bible speaks of family, it speaks of it differently than our culture dictates. Right? Many times our culture puts the family as an idol. It's idolatrous. Right? In Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, God said, You shall have no other gods before me. Yet how many of us put our nuclear families before God? That they have more priority. That, they, that everything we do is centered around them more than they are around God. The devil is smart. When we look at counterfeits, if you see something that is totally different, if someone tries to give you monopoly money instead of the green, you know, <laughs> not real. Where you get tricked is when it's close. Close to the real thing. It's the same thing. Like, like it, Asians love fake things. How many of you have like a Louis Vuitton wallet? Right? Or, or something like that. Or like a, like a Fuji purse or something like that. Like, and I have to tell you, back when I was a kid, I could spot those things easily because they would misspell things. Like, Fuji. Like, or whatever. They, or there was a... Or, Hey, go boss, or something like that. And they, they have all these fake things. Now they're really good. Now you're like, ooh, which one's real, which one's fake? Before, you could tell, like a Rolex watch, it would tick. And you'd be like, fake. Because Rolexes don't do that. They're smooth. Now you look at the fake, and they're like, it's smooth. 
Which one's which? Oh, you can tell by the weight. The real one's heavier. You take them both, and you're like, they're both heavy. Counterfeits are really close to the real thing. They're not really different. Otherwise, you can really spot them. They're really close to the real thing. Our nuclear families are really close to the family of God. It's just where we put them. Right? Is in an idolatrous place. It's really close, though. And he's really smart. And he uses anything to distract us from a relationship with God. Anything. Even good things, like family. Even good things, like your spouses and your kids. And all this, all this good stuff. Even important stuff. Because he doesn't care if it's good, if it's important, and how close it gets to the real thing. He doesn't care. As long as it's idolatrous, go for it. That's what I want to show them. I want to throw them off track. The closer, the better. So the question for you, has your family become your idol? Jesus understands family. It just wasn't an idol for him, that's all. But he understood the importance of it. He made sure that he fulfilled his duty as the eldest son to take care of his mom, even though he was being murdered. He understands family. And I have to tell you how hard it was for me to even stay here during this process. Right? While I was an interim for two years, it was so hard for me to stay here. I didn't feel appreciated. I didn't, I didn't feel any thanks. I, I felt abused, literally abused. It was really tough for me. And I, I didn't want to stay. I really didn't. One of the reasons why I didn't want to stay is I am so close to my family. My parents and my sister, they all live in Southern California. They are my closest friends. I call them every day. We talk every day. We are that close. We, we talk about all this stuff. And, and, and another thing, I had a job lined up down there. One city away from where my parents live. Just the city next door. And so here I was, I was thinking, oh, great. I feel all this junk here. And all this stuff is opening up there for me. I get to be with my family again. Because I moved up here like over a dozen years ago. But now I get to move back. I have a job lined up. And my kids get to be with their grandparents. And they get to grow up with them. And I get to be with my extended family who I'm really close to also. Because I talk to my aunts and my uncles and cousins all the time. And we, and we get together on weekend things all the time. And my kids will get to grow up around that. I was so excited. God called me here. And He called me here so in obedience, even though it was hard. In submission, in faith, in trust, in belief, in turmoil, in abuse, I stayed. I don't regret it. I don't regret it at all. I do feel sad, but I don't regret it because I know that's what God had. But I feel sad that my kids aren't going to have that relationship with my parents or their cousins and all this other stuff. So I do feel sad, and it was a terrible time in my life. But you see how God's been faithful. He's been so faithful to us, and and it's so good now. It's so much better now. 
Verses 19 through 21 again. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Essentially, Jesus was saying the same thing in Luke chapter 2, verse 49. Did you catch that? Do you remember what he said there when his parents were looking for him and, and they found him in the temple in Jerusalem and he's talking to all these people and they said, and he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Another question. Have our children become our idols? I have to confess to you that sometimes mine have. They really have. I will do anything for my kids. I would even kill for my kids. You don't believe me? You try to threaten their life. And who wouldn't want those as idols? I mean, they're so stinking cute. They're like cute little idols right there. I'm not like an ugly idol. I'm like, oh, that's a cute idol. And if I wanted an idol, I'd want it to be them. Wait, those are the ideal idols. Right? And, and, but what's the desire of every Christian parent's heart? That our children belong to Jesus Christ. We want them to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's, that's the desire of every Christian parent's heart. Right, and that, that, that my girls become actually my sisters in Jesus. That, that I can spend my life everlasting with them. That I don't make them an idol in this present world and be so short-sighted that I forget the everlasting and that I can be with them the rest of my life. Because they're my sisters in the Lord. Has your spouse become your idol? Did you know that the person you're married to, you won't be married to in heaven? Did you know that? Some of you are thinking, oh, hallelujah, thank God. Like, like, whew. I was wondering when that's going to be over. I thought I was stuck off, man. Some of you are wondering that. If you're wondering that, we need to talk. We need to talk. Make an appointment after we need to talk, okay? If you're thinking that, eh. And I'm not saying that marriage is not important. It's extremely important. How many, how many verses in the Bible are catered towards marriage? But is it an idol? And for those of you who aren't married, is the idea of marriage an idol? Ooh, that hurt. It's just to keep that idea of marriage in the proper perspective. Is it an idol? Right? So Jesus said in chapter 8, verse 21, My mother and my brothers, those closest to me, are those who hear the word of God and do it. Those who have an intimate relationship with me, those who are the closest to me, are those who hear the word of God and do it. It's not by blood, thank God. Because I'm not Jewish. Maybe I am. I don't know. I should go check that out. And it's not by marriage. Thank God. Those closest in 
relationship with Jesus, most intimate with Jesus, are those who hear the word of God and they do it. Fair playing field. Open playing field that is totally fair. Anybody. Like I said, I'm really close to my mom. I'm really close to my sister. They're my best friends. But there are relationships I've found in the family of God that have been even more intimate than my mom and my sister. There are things that, because of uh, the spiritual nature of things, that I can go to somebody that, that helped me. I look back in my life, and I look, I look back at who has helped me the most in terms of like these spiritual awakenings in my life. I can point to two older women that have done that for me. I, I can also point to older men that have done that for me, too. But as far as like the most influential, like in college, and then also recently, those have been women, and then also I, I've had like former professors, men that have poured my life into my life, and they know me so well, more than my mom and sister can, because we have this spiritual bond there. We have this bond that my mom is not a Christian, so talking about some of the spiritual stuff, it, this, it's not, it's not connecting at all. My sister's a Christian, but in terms of like the depth there, it's just not the same. So closing questions to contemplate, for us to contemplate. Do we hear God? Not simply that you hear God, not what you hear from God, but also how we hear God. Do we hear Him? Because if we hear Him clearly, there's something for us to do. It's not passive in that you're just hearing stuff and nothing happens. Right? There's something transformative that's happening. Secondly, do we belong to the family of God? Do we belong there? Or do you want that intimacy? Do you want that closeness? Do you want something more than that is just a title? Just to say, like, yeah, I go to church. I'm a Christian. But do you belong to the family of God? Do you belong in that most intimate part where Jesus fellowships? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your many blessings that you've bestowed upon us. And Father, I pray that people have heard this morning. That it wasn't just noise, that it wasn't just sounds and words, but that it has penetrated into their hearts. And I pray for those who have callousness there, that it, it, it's hard to penetrate, Lord. Would you, God, please crack that? God, and thank you for this large family that belongs to you. Thank you for all my brothers and my sisters. I pray, Lord, for those where the light hasn't actually turned on yet. I pray for those where the seed hasn't fallen on the good soil who are here. Because I'd love for them to be part of the family. I'd love for them to have an intimacy with you. More importantly, you would love that. In Jesus' name, amen.